Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Not you or anything like that? No? That's good, good. You maybe just throw up the uh, family photograph. Of the, uh, and uh, there we are. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan Stanfield, originally from Belfast. Can you believe it? But uh, 18 years on the Isle of Man. So we kind of started a little church plant there. And then we've got five churches. But we work as one church. Does that make sense? So we just have elders that work all together. And, uh, and then we work into the nations as well. And uh, uh, that's why we're here. We've got a team in Dublin this weekend, in Tala, in a new church there. And that's exactly what John said. Like, that is, that is like broken central. And uh, it's wild. But Jesus is doing amazing things, setting people free there. So it's great to see what God's doing in Ireland. And then what the, the guy that I uh, work with, uh, he's in uh, Emmanuel this weekend. So uh, I've left my daughters at home. I've got four daughters. This is a little bit of out of date, the photograph. It's the only one I could find. But uh, I say four and no more. And I, I also, God gives girls to homes where there's enough testosterone already. So... Uh, my oldest is Caitlin. She's a second-year intern with me. She's 19, and she's in South Africa at the moment. Uh, we've got four of our team down there for a few weeks and working in you know, townships and, uh, uh, anyway, a whole lot of different things. And uh, Anna is 17, doing her A-levels. She wants to be a nurse. Megan's now 13, so she's about 11 there. And uh, she, wants to, she wants to go to Queen's University, yeah. And Phoebe's eight now, and she wants to open an ice cream shop. So... Uh, and my wife, Annette, so originally from Belfast, etc. And really, I can tell you, it's uh, amazing to be here. You know, the, the Bible says, ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And uh, when I, first time I met Ronnie, I heard him. And like, I just see, like, he carries the nations in his uh, hearts. And that's how you know you're in a healthy church. Can I tell you that? Yeah. A church that has a heart for nations. Not just simply neighborhoods. We do need to reach our neighborhoods. But what happens is we go to the nations. Suddenly, God does something in our neighborhoods as well. Because we become big people. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That's what it says in Proverbs. And so as you go to the nations and you're generous with your resources and your people and your staff and finance and all that type of thing. Then, um, actually, God opens up things for you at home as well. So um, uh, we're so blessed to have met, actually first started off with drop-in, so we have uh, some of our members work with drop-in, we uh, we partner financially with drop-in for the last few years as well on the Isle of Man, and uh, then we have some of our members, Steve's coming in today, and uh, I think uh, others are coming in this week to go out to Latvia, etc. So it really is a small world. And then uh, met Neil and Neville and David and that, and just blown away. This is a special. You have a real family here. You know, a lot of uh, people just want to have a big crowd, but you need to know a crowd is in the church. Church is the family of God. So really special uh, to be here today and see you as a family. So. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just want to share what's on my heart for you. Don't know what you're in the middle of, but I just sense that God wants me to bring uh, uh, something to you today of his heart. I was reading a newspaper story in The Guardian, actually, just a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And uh, as I was coming to here, I just realized that probably Neil's one of the biggest liars I've ever met. No, actually, the whole church. No, I don't. No, 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 it's me. I know it's the first time here, but you know what I mean. Because do um, you know what the biggest lie is on the internet? Most of us, I see, have phones and stuff like that there. And uh, it's when you tick the little box that says, I have read and agreed with all the terms and conditions. Uh, 
And then I suddenly realized, you know what, I'm a liar. Because like some of those terms and conditions, like Google, with a Google updates like 30 pages. Or you have an iPhone update and it's like 10 pages. And you just kind of look at it and you go... I agree. I, I have read. I'm just ticking here. Like, I just did a car rental in Dublin there. And they said, you know, read all the terms. And, oh, I'm just signed it there. And then I look at the car and it's dense all over it. You know, like. Uh, and to prove the point that we do this all the time, one researcher set up a free Wi-Fi spot in the center of London in the financial district and buried in the terms and conditions of using the Wi-Fi in this particular area was the Herod Clause. Not Santa Claus, the Herod Clause. And it said in this, tick the box, the recipient agreed to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Now, the guy writes, well, this shouldn't be a legally binding uh, um, thing because nobody reads them. But from a legal point, he says, maybe they, they just are. <laughs> and it got me thinking about church. You know, it's easy to do church on our terms and conditions. Rather than, I wonder what God's terms and conditions are. We can do local church and in a way that no, no longer reflects the New Testament. Like New Testament's family, not crowd. With everybody playing their part. And as everybody plays their part, then the body grows. And those are God's terms and conditions. And so I want to speak about why we must value the Holy Spirit as a church. Because that's God's terms and conditions. It's not going to be by might that things are going to change. It's not going to be by power, but by the Spirit of God. Have you ever noticed what Jesus actually said to his disciples about the Holy Spirit in John 16 and verse 7? He said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says it's actually better that he goes away. Now, how can that be? Most of us would think my faith would be so much stronger if Jesus just walked alongside me. Like if I went into the workplace, I'd be a much better Christian. Um, if Jesus was just standing there with me and I saw him, um, you know, and this church would just be a whole lot better if actually Jesus was here, right? But Jesus says, bear with me, you know, that it's actually better that he goes away. Because when the second person of the Godhead came to earth, he was, I think one of the carols says, God, con God contracted to a span. God limited himself to human flesh. When Lazarus and his family were going through the hard time, and Jesus was in Jerusalem, and like he, couldn't, he wasn't there for them in that way. And yet the great thing now is that God is with and in his people. It's not just that one group of 12 can have the presence of Christ with them. But actually every single one of us in every single place can have the Spirit working through us. Now I grew up a group brethren boy. Anybody grew up brethren? Thank you. Yeah, we're, I know that's two of us going to heaven. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Fort, William, Fort William Gospel Hall in Belfast, and uh, my dad preached, and he was an oversight and all that type of thing. My brother's still in the Brethren today. He's an oversight and banger and all that. But quite rightly, we valued the Word of God, and that's where we start, don't we? You know, like, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inerrant. You know, that's our rule of faith. But I can tell you, I never heard of the Holy Spirit at all. Did you? It was banned. It was banned. Yeah, it was banned. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'd never actually heard of the Holy... And yet Jesus is saying, it's better that I go away. I mean, we believed in the Trinity when I grew up, but it was really God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures, rather than God the Holy Spirit. And actually, a church that values what Jesus values is going to be a church that is both Word and Spirit. Now, after Pentecost, the disciples still had this emphasis of going to Jerusalem temple. They actually colonized Solomon's colonnade, that great area, and they held all their gatherings and all their meetings there. And you remember uh, uh, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way, and they healed him, etc. But actually, by the time of Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, when persecution had come in, to the uh, church. I think Stephen in this case almost had a greater revelation than Peter, than John. They were going up to the temple every day. A place made with human hands. And in his great speech in Acts 7, 48 and 49, Stephen says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? That's my text or my word for you guys. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? And that's, that's a key question I just want to ask this morning over the next 25 minutes. What kind of house are we going to build for the Lord, because people build churches and houses of God in different ways. Um, often nowadays, the, I think some of the biggest problems is that we just build a house pragmatically. Does this work? Does that work? You know, or the church down the road is doing this or that. We'll just copy what they're doing. Or even worse, the church across the pond is doing this or that. You know, that's cookie cutter their ideas, and we just kind of come up with our own thing. We'll make it up. Or maybe we've come out of the business world and the corporate model. And some churches you go into, my goodness, it's like being in a, a corporate office. It doesn't feel like family at all. Or for others, maybe it's just make do, get by. You know, oh, we just try this and we'll just try that. Or maybe for some of us, we've, we just blindly follow tradition. You know, in the last generation did that way. We just do the same old, same old thing. But you know what? As I read the Bible, I, I discover actually God has a blueprint for his house. In the Old Testament, he had a blueprint. I mean, you, you built the temple this way. You didn't mess with it. And actually, in the New Testament, and I just would encourage more and more of us as pastors and saints, you know, we need to get into God's Word. Rather than whatever the top ten selling book is, guys, just, just, can we just maybe stop reading those for a time? And, and somebody else's revelation? And actually get into the Word and actually see what's God's blueprint? For his church. Because when we do that, we tick the box. Yeah, I agree with the terms and conditions, but then we just go on and do our own thing. Look at the warning that Paul, an apostle, gave to the church in Corinth about how we build. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I led a foundation. Someone else is building on it. Now let each one of you take care how he builds. For your elders, take care how you build. 
I'm with my apostolic leader uh, this weekend, and he's with Phil at Emmanuel. And uh, I met Andrew for the first time four or five years ago, and he leads about, about 300 churches globally. And uh, he came to us, and he was speaking to our leaders, not as an apostle, because, you know, uh, you have to test apostles, you know, in... in Revelation says we tested those who claimed to be apostles, but we found them false. So we, were, we, we believe that you need to, you know, the church is built on the foundations of Jesus, apostles and prophets. Yeah? So uh, Andrew's then speaking to our leaders, and he spoke on this verse, and, and, and uh, how that Jesus would test the quality of our work. And he talks about some, you know, some work is gold, silver, and precious stones, and then other work is Wood, hay, and stubble, and straw. And on the last day, you know, there's going to be a big flamethrower applied to our work. You do know that? Like, and, and uh, only what has been built well is going to last. I mean, there are going to be countless numbers around the throne. This is kind of like a little thing that God's spoken to me recently. You know, we do know in heaven there's going to be countless people around the throne. But actually, Jesus says he's coming back for a pure, spotless bride without wrinkle. And I think sometimes as pastors, nowadays, we feel the pressure and the numbers and all that type of thing. And we, we just want to gather a crowd. But a crowd is in the church. I mean, you could have a crowd of 50,000 people and, and have the band and the lights and the show and all that. And then when you as you're presenting the bride to Jesus and he applies the flamethrower to it, you discover, oh my goodness, they were just spectators. They weren't activated. They weren't participators. They came to Jesus, but they never changed to become like Jesus. They're not a pure, spotless, holy bride. So that kind of, and actually about four years ago, we had about 70 people leave one of our congregations. It was the second worst time. I've just been through the first worst time ever in, in ministry. And, uh, but actually, it was, it was a good thing because you know what, what happened at our churches four years ago? The Lord allowed sparks to come. And it was actually gracious because I was building badly. You know, I was allowing things to go on in our church that wasn't honoring Jesus. And the sparks came, and just things started to get consumed. And actually, I think that's God in His grace and mercy doing that. Because now I've learned, I mean, I'm still learning every day. <laughs> but now I've actually gone through a worse trial than what I went through four years ago. And actually, the church has just grown through that. The, the fire has been applied. Oh, my goodness. And people slander you and all sorts of things. The fire has been applied. And actually, oh, the saints have got hotter. And the saints have come together. And actually, they've stood together and stronger. So Stephen's question was, what kind of house are you building for me? You see, what you value, church, will determine how you build. I have friends. I'm actually staying with Warwick McCullough at the moment. Warwick's a good friend. And uh, staying with him for four days. And he's one of the elders in Emmanuel. And Warwick's an architect. I mean, if you value... Um, the Great British Bake Off, I'll tell you what, your house is going to have a big kitchen, isn't it? If you value cooking, actually people who value cooking, suddenly the house gets shaped around the kitchen. If you value TV, suddenly it's like God, the idol is in the corner, and all the seats, you know, you know. If you value exercise, you'll have this, you know, you'll create a lot of space for a gym, you know, or, yeah. 
If you value sunshine and light, you'll make sure the house is positioned in a maybe south-facing, etc. You see, what we value, and that's what I'm speaking about today, will really determine how we build. Do we really value the Holy Spirit the way Jesus valued the Holy Spirit? So let me just share four things, and I've got about 15 minutes left. Signs and wonders, please, Jesus. Yes, how do you get that? Four things about uh, a house that values the Holy Spirit. Well, if we value the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit, and we're building a house where the Holy Spirit is present. Now, Jesus already says you need to, in some ways, this isn't heresy, you need to, in some ways, value the Holy Spirit more than him. It's for your benefit that Jesus goes away. He's co-equal with the Spirit is co-equal and Jesus is co-equal, but we need to value the Holy Spirit. Because in order for the church to come into your destiny, church, we need to value the Holy Spirit. I mean, the whole thing about the book of Acts was wait. Don't do anything. Don't do anything at all. Don't even go anywhere. Don't go to the nations until what? Until the promise of the Father. And if they hadn't have waited, the rest of the books of Acts wouldn't have been written. Because they could only do that. That is some of the acts of some of the apostles by the Holy Spirit working through them. And so as a church, don't we, don't we guys, don't we want a church where the Holy Spirit is present? Wasn't it great in worship there not to just simply sing songs, but actually to press into God and God inhabits the praises of his people? And he wants to manifest his presence amongst us. In Ephesians 2.22 it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're not coming to a service. You're getting together as living stones. And as you get together as living stones, suddenly God's presence is manifesting even more strongly. And you know, there are two words in the New Testament for temple. Yeros. Fortunately, two years New Testament Greek. uh, Yeros, like Jerusalem, Yerosalim. And there's another word, naos. And Paul talks about us being the naos. And that is actually the holy of holies. You know, in the temple in Jerusalem, you had the courts of the Gentile. You had Solomon's calling. You had the courts of the Gentile, and then the women, and then the men, and then the priests. And then once a year, the high priests could go into the Naos. And like this was so awesome and so amazing that they tied a rope around him and they had dried pomegranates around the bottom of his uh, tunic so he would shake, rattle and roll. Actually, is he still alive? And such was the presence of God, like Ananias and Sapphira. You don't mess. I mean, you need to know Ananias and Sapphira is new covenant. People die in our types of churches when they take communion without honoring the body of Jesus in a new covenant church, they get sick and they die. Just saying that, you know, doesn't, Jesus loves you. Right, you know what I mean? That's Bible, you understand? New covenant, New Testament. And so, when we're valuing, we're we're going to say, oh my goodness, God wants us to meet in such a way that His manner, His holiness, His presence comes in amongst us and like we're just, I'm not worried about how my neighbor's thinking I am. I'm just going to get on my face before him. 
And he comes with salvation in those contexts. And he comes with healing in those contexts. We sing the atmosphere is changing now for the Spirit of the Lord is here. A miracle can happen when God is in the mix in those situations. But my experience is, like growing up in Northern Ireland and even on the Isle of Man, a lot of us have come from church backgrounds that, to be honest, we only just tip the hat at the Holy Spirit. We don't actually value Jesus says, it's better that I go. If I don't go, he can't come. And maybe you're like some of the, maybe some of us today are a little bit like the disciples of John the Baptist, whom Paul met in Ephesus. And when he said, it happened while, while Apollos was in Corinth, that Paul passed inland and came to Ephesus. And they found some disciples, and they said to them, like me as an 18-year-old brethren boy, uh, did, you do, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, I haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Holy what? And it might be even today that you would answer that question the same way. I don't really know the Holy Spirit. For them, it was a timing of history. But for you, it might just be like me. I grew up in a great church, but they just didn't have the full picture. Or maybe you have a fear of embracing the Holy Spirit. I mean... uh, It says in the Bible about you be baptized, not only in water, but you'll be baptized. I mean, that word baptism isn't a religious word. It actually is a, is a word that was used in the Greek language for a whole lot of things. When a ship was sunk, it was baptized. <laughs> when wool was dyed, it was baptized. There are two little Greek words. Uh, I shouldn't do this. this is a, two little words, bapto and baptizo. And so 200 years before Jesus, there's a poet And to help us understand what these words really mean, you actually look at them in their historical context. So there's this poet writing, and he's actually writing a recipe for pickles. Anybody make pickles? And it's pickled gherkins or cucumbers. And he uses the word bapto and baptizo. And he says, first of all, what you do is you bapto the uh, cucumber or the gherkin in hot water to clean it. You immerse it and you take it out. And then you baptizo it in the vinegar. Now when you dip it, it's just the, there's an external cleaning. But when you baptizo it, actually it takes on the whole essence of the solution. And that's how God wants us to live with the Holy Spirit. That actually our lives, it's not that we have a little you know, external dip. You know, when we talk about being baptized in water and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, actually, it's not just to be baptized in water. It's that we're taking on the very essence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't live like the devil anymore. I'm a partaker in this divine nature. I'm not a God and never will become a God, but I'm to live a godly life. And I do that because I've been immersed. And, you know, today, you know, we talk about valuing. And maybe if your experience is like my experience, I was a pastor and I hadn't an experience with the Holy Spirit at all. And then Nicky Gum- or Sandy Miller prayed for me. And I started shabba-dabba-doing. And I couldn't even tell my wife for six months. As a brethren boy, they think I'm weird. And then after six, nine months, I think I told my deacons, I thought they were going to sack me. Because we believed in the Holy Spirit, but, didn't, but not for us. You know, so it was for somebody else, so. So, um, 
You know, we need to be a church that welcomes you. You have done that. It's great, isn't it, today? Welcome the Holy Spirit. But in our lives every day, like Sunday, we need to create a Bethany. You know, uh, Jesus walked all over the Holy Land, but there were a few places he would rest his head. And he just found that Lazarus and Mary and Martha's place, he could just, he could park up his presence. And that's what he wants to do in this church. He wants a Bethany where he can park up his presence. And that's why the Holy Spirit's described as a dove, because like pigeons, you can't get rid of them, they're vermin. But a, but a dove is very sensitive. I've got doves, and now I have pheasant come into my garden, yeah. But a dove, and like a dove, if you slam the door too hard or anything in the house, a dove will kick. You raise your voice, a dove. that's why the Holy Spirit is. He's sensitive to where he parks up his presence. Yeah. But I would love us just in the end here in a few minutes' time to actually, maybe we could do, I don't know if we do this, just to lay hands and actually ask. I mean, it's more, we talk, I've used the word baptism, but actually the Bible emphasizes we need to be daily filled with the Spirit, keep on being filled and filled and filled. It's not a one-off experience, it's filled and filled and filled. Does that work for you? Does that help? A house where the Holy Spirit is present. You know, obviously God is present everywhere. Outer space, God is present. But I'm I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. And then a house where spiritual gifts. What type of house are you going to build? A house where spiritual gifts are evident. It'd be interesting to how how people describe their local church. You know, some people would would say, well, ours is a great Bible teaching church. Or ours is a great... um, worship church or ours is a great um, social action church or ours is a great program church but actually jesus is looking for a church that's built on him that maybe that worships that heals that sometimes we can kind of make those things and then look at the church in antioch which was a which was really an apostolic kind of let's take the, the nations it was a base church, a resourcing church, Acts 13. And they, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And that goes on. Now, the Antioch church has sprung out of persecution as the church was persecuted in Jerusalem. The saints carried the DNA. The apostles remained. Wherever they went, suddenly because the life of God was in them, churches, they just couldn't help it. Churches sprung up everywhere. But I find it very interesting that, you know, the Bible writers aren't careless with their words. And it's very interesting. It says, there were in the church in Antioch prophets. Isn't that interesting? That's where they start. I mean, to be honest, you don't really want a pastor to lead a church. A pastoral gift by himself. Because that's very inward. You know the pastors. There, there, there. Oh, you're hurting. Oh. Come on, let's just close the whole service down and stroke you. That's the pastoral gift. But actually, it's very you need pastors in churches. But you need to be careful. And actually, in the church now there were prophets, because the prophet works with the apostolic. And the prophet is like sitting in the passenger seat of the car. The prophet isn't the leader, you understand? The prophet is in the passenger seat of the car going, oh, I can see this, or, or warning, you know, warning, or oh, 
oh my goodness, if we take this road here, we can go there. Now, the prophet doesn't have their hands on the steering wheel. It's the elders that have their hands on the steering wheels, the pastors. And, and then they work with them, and they say, oh. And then it's the, the uh, elders and the uh, whatever, you want, apostolic, you know, with those gifts. Then suddenly, oh, we can come into this great wide open space. And that's why we need to embrace the Holy Spirit. Because we don't embrace the Holy Spirit, we'll just have church led, churches led by pastors going, there, there, there. You understand, you need pastoral gift. But you need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to take you into your destiny. To stop you being a kumbaya church. <laughs> okay. It'll unlock something supernatural. It's like when I started praying in tongues. I mean, if I could do that, and that looks totally and utterly weird. Like, I might as well do other weird things. Now, sadly today, and I don't want to stand on anybody's toes, but a lot of charismatic churches hide the Holy Spirit in the kitchen or for during the week. And, uh, you know, some friends of mine, and I oversee some new charismatic churches, uh, or uh, anyway, and they would say to me, you know, uh, we're just afraid to put visitors off, right? right we're afraid, you know, we don't want to spook the visitors. To which I reply, I don't want to put God off. Because God's blueprint isn't to hide the Holy Spirit in the kitchen. God's blueprint actually is when you meet, as you did this morning and you had that prophetic word. When you meet together and you're all prophesying, you know, all trying to build one another, edify and encourage and exhort one another up, people will say, oh my goodness, God is here. I meet too many charismatics and Pentecostals that come out of their church Sundays, church services on a Sunday, and they say, wasn't that amazing? If your people ever say that, you're doing the wrong thing. Because they're going, the lights, the media, the show, the great polished preach, wasn't that amazing? That isn't God's way. We want to do things with excellence, but that isn't. Because what we want is people to come out saying, wasn't there today and there can be a, a huge difference between wasn't God there and wasn't that amazing in the last days Acts 2 17 18 God says I'll pour my spirit in all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy you're going to have you're going to move more in prophetic and you may even have people come into the office of prophet and and Joel and Peter there saying that in the last days, far from these gifts narrowing and softening, actually there's going to be a great expanse, a great mega work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. But I think as, as a church builder, that's what my gift is. I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist. As a church builder, my heart breaks when people think, I would rather build the church well. Down the road, or in America, they're doing the church this way. And I know we need to lock up the Holy Spirit for a while, but we're getting more people in. But that isn't God's way. Do not go beyond what is written. I want to try, I, instead of reading the top 10 books, I want to go into the New Testament and discover what is God's way. What is God's way for marriage, don't we? But then what is God's way for church discipline? Because a family, a father disciplines those he loves. 
where most churches nowadays don't want to do that, do they? But uh, you know you're a son when you get disciplined. And what is God's way for building his church? I just, I mean, I know this is a word for the elders, but it's a word for you as well. But it is like, am I focusing more on what does that book's way rather than the book's way? So there's going to be an increase. I'm going to go on to the last point here. So I was going to talk about a house where the gospel is demonstrated. And that you need to go tomorrow night you know, to hear John because where the gospel is demonstrated. It isn't a self-help book. The gospel changes life. Preaching the gospel is... People wonder, what's, what's spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is preaching the gospel. Right? You got, I mean, that changes the power of the gospel. I think we've just forgotten about the power. The gospel itself is the power of God. Right? Okay. I can't go there, but let me just uh, land here. Uh, slide 17. A house where supernatural unity is realized, and it's, it's really my heart was blessed coming here today because, like, in my life group, we, we uh, have 95% of our adults are in life groups. That's, we do life together. We don't do programs, to be honest. We do life. And that's the way it worked in Acts. And even in my life group, I've got, I'm from, my wife and I from Northern Ireland, I've got Manx people, Trinidad and Tobago, German, Sierra Leone, Italy. I have a congregation probably, we've got five congregations that I will help oversee, and I've got over 20 nationalities in my one congregation on a Sunday morning. And that's, that's the way God works. And in Antioch, this base church, it says, there were prophets and teachers, and, and a Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, uh, and Saul. And while they were worshiping and praying, praying, they set aside you know, these guys. Let's look just quickly at these people. Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus. This is this church, right? This is what the Holy Spirit does. Simeon, a black man from Africa. He probably carried the Simon of Cyrene, probably carried the cross of Jesus. Lucius, another non-white guy, uh, probably Luke. Most commentators would say, church fathers would say, Lucius is Luke. Luke never wanted to puff himself up and say that it was, it was me. Um, who else is there? Um, and Manan, he was a foster son of Herod the Tetrarch. And you've got Saul from Tarshish. All colors, all backgrounds, all cultures, all countries. And when you read the early church, let's be honest, for those of us who are white, thank you for my brown and black brothers for letting me in. We kind of think it's a white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. You know, to, actually, for, thank you for letting me in. I love the story. Uh, one of our uh, older sisters in the church has moved to England. She, she and her husband were missionaries in Nigeria and Joss. And they have four kids out there. And uh, she tells the day of her son David when he was about seven, walking down the dusty uh, street in Joss with one of the little uh, kids from the village. And they were both wearing blue um, shorts and yellow T-shirts. And little David, you know, as it said at that time, the two of them standing there, Look, Mom, twins! You see, the kingdom of God doesn't see those things. Race, color, ethnicity. We're part of a new family. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how you know you've got a healthy church. Holy Spirit bringing together all different people, yeah. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I'm almost finished. For, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. We're all given one spirit to drink. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, this supernatural unity. 
That's why we need to welcome the Holy Spirit. Romanians, Lithuania, Latvia, Polish. We need to be embracing of the nations because that's our inheritance. If we can't all go to the nations, you know what God's doing? He's bringing the nations here, for goodness sake. Syrians. It's amazing. So rather than having walls up, we need to be people who embrace. I grew up in Belfast, North Belfast. And uh, like most great cities, it was built around a river. You know, rivers bring life. Wells to bar bring life. And I just want to almost conclude in Revelation 22, 22, 1-2. The angel shall be a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, of the Lamb of God, through the middle of the city, the street. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Isn't that amazing? All I get every month is weeds. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the, not neighborhoods, Nations, yes. And so that's what I'm saying. We need to value the Holy Spirit. We need to park up around the wells of God. We need to park up around the river of God because that's where there's life. Programs, models, organizations, none of those have life. They can be given life and carry life, but they do not create life. Why is drop-in so successful? It's a life on you. Drop-in has no... It's only a, it's only a wineskin. Right? It's the life that flows from you without you, to be honest. That's why you can't just hand it over. You can't hand over something because it's not the physical thing that has the life. It's the person that brings the life into the structure. And that's why we, as people, need to be far more concerned with the wine of God. And uh, this isn't about, don't drink, drink, get drunk, do bad things, right? The wine of God, as opposed to the wineskin. They're doing this down the road. They're doing their service this way. They're going this place. We need to value the Holy Spirit. Those things, let's talk about those when we get the presence. And through the power of the Spirit, we'll see fruitfulness not only here, but also in the nations. So, what type of house are you building? What type of house are you going to encourage your elders to build? When everybody else kind of wants a nice, neat house with a show at the front, and it's not messy, and everything's done on time, and, you know, it's going to... Don't give them that pressure to go that way. Help your elders build a house that honors the Holy Spirit. You may have all those things as well, but don't don't lead with those things. Come behind them and support them. uh, Because Jesus says, like, it's really better. If if you can value the Holy Spirit, everything's going to change. A house where the Spirit's present, a house where gifts evident, where the gospel's demonstrated, and where there's a supernatural unity. Maybe the band can come back and we'll just pray over one another for a wee moment. Maybe band, maybe it's just on keys there for a second. Shall we stand to your feet? And let's just respond to this word. Yes. 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 Yes.